podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello and welcome to another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns, your host, and joining with me once again, my co-host on the telephone, of course, is Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing so far? Everything all good your side? Yeah, good day, ladies and gents. Yeah, things are still looking up and uh, obviously very excited about Formula One finally returning in a week's time or well within a week now that is absolutely right of course at the time of recording this and obviously when we publish this out on monday it is officially race week after such a long hiatus it's felt like an absolute eternity certainly the longest off-season break in a living memory since the 13th of march if you cast your minds back to the 13th of march earlier this year nearly four months ago where the Australian Grand Prix was about to begin for free practice on Friday, when, of course, a couple of mechanics and crew members tested positive for the uh, coronavirus, I should say. And because of the growing epidemic and concerns that was going to happen, with F1 being seen as a catalyst for infecting fans that were travelling to the circuit on the morning of the 13th of March 2020, Liberty Media and the Grand Prix Organisers in Australia announced that the Grand Prix was cancelled and of course with that began this long lull period where we've had to say goodbye to F1 for a short break, although it certainly felt a lot longer, but finally with less, uh, well little more to say, it is back and I am so excited for the return of Formula 1. Of course Courtney, we've um, been watching plenty of action in the virtual GP series and of course F1 themselves coordinating that which has been rather successful seeing fans, uh, yeah. fans celebrities and of course some of our drivers as well taking part so uh, it was be- more of a success than I thought it'd be I must say yeah I think so too I mean as an avid F1 gamer myself I've been very much interested in the esports scene and of course how the esports drivers would compare up to some of our favourite Formula 1 drives would they be fast would they be able to handle it and uh, I, th- I think it's fair to say Corny they did rather well it actually proved to be quite an enthralling championship battle uh, between Charles Leclerc and of course the eventual unofficial winner of that series George Russell well yeah George, George um, he improved massively you know, he struggled a little bit at the first race and then he clearly put the hours in and um, he was uh, by far the best driver by the end of it. Yeah, and I think it's a good reminder to a lot of people that obviously haven't followed in their junior careers. George Russell in particular was very, very impressive moving up the ranks into Formula 1, of course. GP4 winner, GP3 winner, Formula 2 champion in his debut season and, of course, now in Formula 1. Of course, he wasn't a point scorer last season, his teammate Robert Kubica was, but watching George in those races and watching his qualifying performances in particular, most notably in Hungary, where he very nearly took a car that was easily a second and more so off the next one, almost into Q2. So those sorts of performances for George have put him in a very good position where hopefully this season we'll be able to see more from the Williams team and in turn more from George Russell himself in regards to his actual true talents, because We've seen Lando Norris, we've seen Alex Albon, obviously have 
very big moves go their way to McLaren and Red Bull respectively and have shown their credentials and expect to see more of them this season. Whereas George, as of yet, has not really had a car beneath him that's been able to uh, allow him to showcase what he can really do in a Formula 1 car. So I, for one, am very much looking forward to seeing what he can do. Well, that's um, that's one of the uh, questions I asked in Instagram posts. And I asked, which thing do people expect to... Uh, surprise us in Austria and one of the uh, sort of biggest percentage that people went for was Williams so there is a there's a lot of cautious optimism surrounding Williams this season yeah I agree I'm look very much looking forward to seeing how Williams are going to do and I think we covered this in one of our earlier episodes in pre-season testing and we both mentioned that the Williams team have definitely found pace they've definitely shown signs that they've learned from previous mistakes and have certainly caught the pack in terms of their development and their car performance. Having said that, we should stress that we do not expect Williams to be anywhere near the upper echelons of the Formula One paddock in terms of performance. What we do expect though is Williams to definitely be fighting and be more competitive amongst the back markers of the grid, the likes of Haas and potentially Alfa Romeo in our minds at least. Of course that could change. We've been off for three, four months now, and of course teams would have added performance updates to their car. So, of course, view, yeah, exactly. So they're not going to be the same cars that we saw in Melbourne by any stretch. Um, we should mention that the teams, of course, whilst they're off on hiatus, Courtney, there was a period where they weren't working in the garage, obviously owing to health and safety concerns regarding the COVID yeah. situation, and rightly so. But since then, they have had some time back in the garage. Of course, the work never really stops in Formula 1. The teams were still finding ways to develop parts of their car. Obviously, they would have had a plan in place of, uh, for the design team to prepare pieces that they would have already had in place to put on updates on the car for certain races like Barcelona, even Melbourne. In some cases, teams would have brought updates yeah. following pre-season testing. So, very much a different uh, spectacle that we would be used to seeing. And I think that brings us along nicely just to some of the updates in general, I think we looked at this the other day and uh, I was having a look online, just having a look at some news. And of course, one of the sources I tend to go to quite often is a uh, hot lap mode. They're very, very good. These guys, of course, they have a great news feed on the Instagram and Twitter page. I definitely recommend any F1 aficionados to want to get the latest information that more often than not does tend to get leaked out earlier on their pages. Definitely check them out on Instagram. And that's a hot lap mode on Instagram and Twitter as well. But I was looking through on it and, as I said, they summarise it really, really well. And a lot of the teams have brought upgrades. And uh, just to go through a list of some of them, as many as seven, uh, eight including Renault, have announced. And just going through, obviously Renault are going to bring some bits Red Bull. Mercedes obviously got a revised aero package that they were going to bring to Melbourne. Ferrari as well, though, they're a bit of an interesting one. Because I think a lot of people in pre-season testing just as they were last season, weren't 100% sure about Ferrari's true performance and true pace. Because if we cast our mind back uh, 16 months ago to the Australian Grand Prix in 2019, the world and its wife thought that Ferrari was going to be the team to beat. They looked dominant in pre-season testing, despite the upgrades that Mercedes had brought in particular to the second test. It seemed, for all the timing sheets and all the data that we could muster, that Ferrari were going to be the team to beat. And not only did that not happen, they were left scratching their heads, being so far behind, not just Mercedes, but Red Bull as well. It was quite an eye-opener. So I think following 
pre-season testing this season, if we remember that, Ferrari, we didn't know what their true pace was. And I think a lot of that paid was owed to lessons learned from last season. Perhaps they were too um, insistent on performance or they were too keen to show their true pace more than others. And this year they were quite reserved about that. They always were playing down the performance of their car, Courtney. I mean, every single day, I think we remember, everyone wanted to ask Ferrari, is this your true pace? Are you sandbagging? Are you holding back? And they were always adamant that that was not the case. They were actually running a relatively true version of what their performance was. And on the surface, that did not make for positive reading. There was a lot of stories coming out about how Ferrari was struggling with their development. They were struggling for performance. And I think the question has to be asked, what upgrades are Ferrari going to bring? And if they are, how good is the car going to be? Well, that's the thing with this season. So usually when you, you know, when you start the new season and work with with Ferrari, last season is proof is that there are so many unknowns going into the new season because testing isn't always reflective of true pace. But now we have a situation where not only do we, not only are we unaware of the true pace of the cars as they started in Melbourne, we now have to bring in the extra factor of all these upgrades and the upgrades or which upgrades are going to work, which upgrades aren't, aren't going to work. So the unknowns going into this race are actually quite incredible. Absolutely. And I think given that we're going to be starting the season in Austria, in contrast to Melbourne, throws further caveats to mm-hmm. where the true pecking order lies. Of course, we still expect Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari possibly in that order to be leading the way. And I think as well, it's worth pointing out obviously where Red Bull are going to stand at this because they're going to be starting the season in their home race, something they wouldn't have been used to. And having won that race last year in spectacular fashion with Max Verstappen, we mentioned earlier in pre-season when they were doing our predictions for the season that Max Verstappen in particular looked like it could be his year. Everything seemed to be pointing towards not necessarily Red Bull dominance or Red Bull leading the pack, but certainly Red Bull within touching distance of that Mercedes um, enough to give Max that opportunity to find those extra few tenths of a second that he so often does to in terms of extracting performance out of the car and really taking it to Mercedes. And in particular this season, Lewis Hamilton. That, I think, is a battle we've been waiting for some time. We've had certain glimpses or teasers of it in Hungary uh, last season where Lewis had to chase Max down on an alternate strategy and then eventually caught him to win that race. Monaco as well. Monaco, of course. Um, yep. you know, and, and a lot of performances that Max himself had put in to really show that he was there for the fights and really looked like he was ready to strike uh, to mount a World Championship challenge, which, in fairness, he hasn't yet done. So do you think that that is going to, it's going to be a different story or do we still feel that perhaps this is the case still? So... If we base it on, you know, traditional development of Red Bull, they could well be there or thereabouts from the start of the season because they've had time to develop the car. Because usually with Red Bull, they usually be... So traditionally speaking, they're usually a little bit behind Mercedes or Ferrari at the start of the season and they usually catch up, start catching up by, well, the uh, European season. And... We're already there. They've had time to think about how they're going to update the car. And you've got to remember, no points have been scored. So they're not playing catch-up this season. So that could be a big factor going into um, well, to, uh, the 2020 season, mate. 
And I think you're absolutely right to point that out. I think we so often say, especially last year, when Lewis had the title wrapped up as early as Canada in some respects, but there was always that idea that Red Bull were quickly developing their car. And for the last decade, I think it's fair to say, Red Bull have been the masters at the mid-season development. Of course, in more recent years, it's been down to Mercedes versus Ferrari. And Red Bull have got to a point where they struggled early on in the season, as you rightly said, and then caught up to a point where they were racing them uh, and getting the odd race win. But this season's going to be different. They've skipped over that period where they were expected to be behind. And even then, given their performance in pre-season testing, let's not forget, Max Verstappen was literally marginally off Valtteri Bottas' fastest time of testing. And Max managed that on a harder compound of tyres. I mean, roughly translated, assuming fuel mixes and setups were exactly the same, you'd find half a second in performance on average around the uh, Barcelona Catalonia circuit, meaning that Max, in theory, had set the fastest time. Of course, the usual caveat supply, we don't know what fuel loads they were running or how hard Max was pushing or what they were doing in that run. We can just safely assume it was a semi-qualifying run, if you like. But it does bode well, assuming that nothing has happened to these cars. But of course, we should say that a lot has happened. We know Mercedes are going to bring upgrades. We know Red Bull are going to bring upgrades. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how that pans out. And I think we'll touch on the Austrian Grand Prix itself towards the end of this podcast episode um, because that is going to be very important, obviously, the conditions that we're going to expect for the first race. But I think it's worth mentioning, Courtney, now moving on quickly before we go back to the uh, pre-season predictions a little later on about the calendar situation. Now, we were going to talk about this in a little bit of a mini-episode, but I think given the developments that I've been hearing in the last week or so, I do feel that there's a good op- a good chance that the calendar, or at least the provisional uh, second half of the calendar, is going to be announced very, very soon. And I just want to touch on a few bits of news that perhaps some of you have seen and some of you haven't seen. And if you haven't, then obviously, hopefully this will help you. Um, this is um, this is potentially breaking news for me, so I'm quite excited to hear what you have to say, Alan. <laughs> yeah, well, we do discuss some of our notes before we record the podcast, but some things I do like to hold back, and Courtney as well, you know, the more you know, all of that stuff. Um, but just to touch on briefly with the Canada situation, so as we know, we've already got the confirmed calendar running up to beginning of September, with the Italian Grand Prix the last on that list in the weekend 4th to 6th of September. Now... A lot of you would have seen stories about teams doing their pre-season running um, or just getting their drivers up to speed. And actually, I think I might touch on that, actually, because that was quite interesting, Courtney, uh, before we go back to the Canada thing. Um, I don't know if you'd seen any of the clips of some of the teams doing their warm-ups or getting their drivers back up to speed. Yeah, so I saw Mercedes and Ferrari. Yeah, so Mercedes obviously did running at Silverstone. Ferrari did some running at Mugello. Um, and uh, obviously we'll talk about Mugello as well with the Canada because that's quite important. But um, as we know, the teams were running 2018 versions of their cars. Now, of course, that's the oldest car governed by the rules, or the youngest car, I should say, governed by the rules where teams are allowed to run versions of to give their drivers some running. Of course, normally... Pre-season te- or in-season testing is not permitted, but in this case there is a special exception because of the current situation, so the teams can get their drivers back up to speed. Now Ferrari did some running. Renault famously, uh, or quite interestingly, did some running at Austria, which uh, did not 
Yeah, this is yeah, this is quite interesting. Red uh, Renault themselves did a little bit of running at Austria at the uh, circuit. It was a bit cheeky because Red Bull were not impressed because of course that's Red Bull's circuit, the Red Bull A1 ring. Yeah. As we so often as it's called. And they they weren't very impressed by that, but obviously the Renault team got special permission to run there. And uh, that might help them in terms of the actual race themselves. So uh, a pretty cheeky move, but very, very clever nonetheless. Cyril Abitable definitely uh, playing the clever playing the clever game there. On that one. But um, one other team that did interest me with their uh, warm-up, if you like, um, was the McLaren team. Now, okay. the McLaren team, and I'll see if I'm going to test you on this, Courtney. See if you know why this was the case, because it's a bit of a clever, uh, bit of a difficult position they found themselves in. But if you remember, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz had to run in Carlin uh, GP3 cars, yeah, similar to the ones that Billy Monger um, would race in. Now, do you know why they had to use those cars and not the McLaren ones from 2018? Obviously, I, I thought it was a deal that, you know, Lando almost asked for because obviously he raced for Carlin for years. So I thought it was some kind of like goodwill gesture. That's what I thought it was. In a way, it kind of was. But Carlin have an arrangement with McLaren in terms of its junior driver program. And a lot okay. of junior drivers have gone on to move to McLaren in the past. Obviously, most notably Lando Norris, as you mentioned, yeah. Sergio Sete Camera who was a F2 driver for Carlin as well. Obviously used to formerly a McLaren reserve and development driver, obviously moved on since. But the main reason was, Courtney, is because the the youngest cars you could use were from 2018, McLaren was still using Honda engines in those cars. Now, oh. and this is a big thing, because they, yeah. used, because they used the Renault engines, at least for this season, until they move on to Mercedes... The problem for McLaren is you can't just simply take out a Honda engine and put a Renault one inside. The cars are specifically designed to fit. The only engine to fit would be the engine it was designed for, which would have been the Honda engine and not the Renault one. So because of that, it would have cost them millions of pounds to redesign that car and put a Renault engine inside of it. it. Exactly. It's not worth it. And it wouldn't be the similar spec that they ran before. So obviously it wouldn't be a legal car for them to use. So as a alternative, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris went out in Carlin race cars. Now, of course, a lot of you are thinking, well, why can't they just run on the simulators? That's what they usually do in between races. And you'd be absolutely right to point that out. But let's be honest, you can do all the running in the world on a simulator, but it's not the same experience. I mean, it's probably very close, but it's not the same experience as actually going out there, getting your tyres dirty, within a matter of speaking, and going out there. So that was the arrangement they had to make in order to facilitate that. So, uh, yeah, quite an interesting bit. But moving back to the calendar situation. So now we talked about Miguelo. Now, Miguelo has not been officially confirmed to be on the Formula 1 Canada. However, I'm, what I understand, it's very likely that it will be announced as a venue to host a Formula 1 race on the 13th of September, which will be the week after the Italian Grand Prix, being in the same country, makes perfect sense. It's a FIA Grade 1 circuit, and a lot of people talking about the possibility of having San Marino, where the uh, Alpha Terry team were doing some uh, practice there. But That's the one I'd like to see. I'd like to see him a lot. I think I uh, so would I. I'd love to see a return to the uh, San Marino Grand Prix, but I don't believe that's going to be happening, at least not this season anyway. So, um, that's a pity. Yeah, so in, it, possibly it's going to be happening in Miguelo and it will be 
referred to as the Tuscany Grand Prix rather than another Italian Grand Prix. So, um, yeah, so obviously in the in the town of Tuscany, it makes perfect sense. And, uh, yeah, so they're going to have it there. Just moving on to put another potential calendar. Again, this is quoted directly from Hot Lap Mode. I'm getting this information from. So definitely give these guys a follow. And this is also confirmed via other sources as well, just so, so I'm not using the one source. I've done my homework on this. Um, but Soshi and Hockenheim potentially hosting a race at the end of September. And then, of course, Portimao, uh, a circuit in Portugal. Now, we've heard stories in the past about Portugal potentially hosting an F1 race again. Uh, the Portimao venue has recently received an FIA Grade 1 license, which allows it to host Formula 1 races on that circuit. And it's a circuit that they've definitely been in talks with Formula 1 for a while to have a race there. And it's quite possible that this season there could be a temporary deal struck to host a race in Portimao in Portugal, uh, which is one of the safer countries in terms of dealing with COVID-19. In contrast to Estoril, and Estoril would be the circuit that hosted the Formula 1 race from 1984 to 1996, but they decided to go to Portimao as it seems to be more upgraded, updated venue than Estoril. Estoril hasn't had much love in comparison to Portimao in recent years, hence why Formula 1 are looking to go there. I must say, Adam, okay, you know when your football club gets linked to a player you haven't heard of them before? Yes. Okay, and so the first thing you do is go on YouTube and look at clips of them to see if they're decent. That's like me every summer looking at Arsenal targets, but (laughs) go on. (laughs) What I'm going to do, I'm going to have to see what this track's like. You know me, I'm always looking for an overtaking opportunity to see if the races are going to be good. Yeah, Portimao is a good circuit. I mean, it has a long back straight similar to what Estoril does, although it doesn't run on the banking the same way as it does, because Estoril is a little bit reminiscent of how Zandvoort is finishing. Yeah. I think if I could compare it, that little final part where it has the large banking, obviously not as much, but as that long right-hander that leads to the start-finish straight. But in Portimao, again, a similar circuit, a lot of high mid-speed corners. It should be a good track to watch some racing. But, of course, I haven't seen it in a little while, so they might have made some changes or updates to it. But... It's a decent-looking circuit. I don't think it would have mattered to me if they'd have gone to Estoril or Portimao. But again, this is under the assumption that we're going to be having a race there. So we just have to wait and see. But um, just to touch on some of the other races, of course, now moving away from Europe in later October. There's a possibility of having a race in Montreal in Canada and Austin, Texas. Although we should stress that Austin has a big asterisk over it, of course. For those of you that would would have known America, uh, statistically speaking, is having the most cases and deaths owing to COVID-19. So there's still a huge concern over whether it's safe enough to host a Grand Prix. Of course, no fans at all in attendance, but will it be safe enough for the drivers and personnel, even in an isolated situation that they'll be in, to travel to America to host a Formula 1 race? At this point, Courtney, if it were me, I would say probably not. Uh, I'll South yeah. Paolo would be a complete write-off as well. Absolutely not, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, if it were me, I would say definitely no. But Liberty Media, of course, not to imply that there's a bias being American-based owners, but they would want to keep an American Grand Prix on the table for as long as possible. But for not one second would I expect them to jeopardise or potentially put the Formula 1 paddock at risk of contracting coronavirus just to host a Formula 1 race. I mean, we've seen evidence of that. They already very, very nearly made that mistake in Melbourne, Australia. And fortunately, that didn't it didn't come to anything serious or was seen as a catalyst to obviously um, 
spread the virus. But in this case, I don't expect them to even get close to repeating similar mistakes just to host a race in Austin. And of course, that moves. I would like to, like yeah. to see, I would like to see um, Canada have a race this season. I always feel that track delivers good races. Yes. So I'm hoping Canada happens. It so often does, Montreal. And as I said, despite the situation in America, I don't think Canada is going to be attributed to that level of scrutiny given that they seem to be handling this a bit better but of course again the same caveat supply you just have to be careful that sort of thing it's usually a week after week leg between them two in older times of course that tradition has changed now with Montreal being a early season race whereas Austin's usually a season or curtain closer as we so often seen in terms of the drivers championship Lewis Hamilton winning the championship three times at the Austin venue and I suppose the other thing, like, the Formula 1 organisers need to consider is that it would be a lot more difficult to host street circuits for obvious reasons this season. Yes, absolutely. And uh, that's why you see races like Monaco. But, of course, you've mentioned street races. There is rumours that the Vietnamese Grand Prix may be put on the calendar at a later date. Now, of course, if you hadn't heard the news earlier in the season, the Vietnam had had a Grand Prix scheduled in Hanoi to a street circuit race in Hanoi to host uh, a Grand Prix very early in the season in April and of course that was cancelled it was meant to be the first race there but of course they have been mega mega keen to try and get that race back on the calendar in Asia and there will be an Asian leg to this Formula 1 season of course we've seen stories about Shanghai hosting a double header in November Bahrain of course again another double header with Abu Dhabi of course hosting the season finale but there may be room on that calendar around about mid-October time to have a race in Hanoi. So do watch this space on that one. It, there is a possibility that could happen. But again, the season calendar will be published in full fairly, fairly soon. It may be next week or maybe the week after. I'm not sure, but it, it, at this point... you've got an exclusive, Adam. Quite well, not me personally, but quite possibly. Um, I'm, I'm just re-quoting my, the sources I've I've read from. And yeah, I'm expecting it to be this week, if I'm perfectly honest, given that the F1 season is about to begin in Austria. I know it's a very, very strange circumstance we find us in, but I do expect a full provisional Formula 1 calendar at least to be published at some point this week. So we'll have to watch this space on that one. And uh, I think on that note, I think it's a good opportunity to probably take a break here and then we'll move into the second part of the DNF1 F1 podcast very, very soon. So... uh, we'll see you in part two guys so hello and welcome back to the second part of the dnf1 f1 podcast if you're just joining us of course we just have a shameless plug don't forget to like share and subscribe to us if you're listening to us on youtube of course subscribe to the channel and of course if you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform whatever that may be make sure to follow and of course share this podcast with all your friends and family and any of fun enthusiasts you might have in your life we really appreciate the support and uh thank you very much for those of you that have supported us so far it's been a fun journey at this point and we're 17 episodes in Courtney I never thought I'd see past 10 knowing us but uh <laughs> we're st- still riding strong still uh still got the banter going and still keeping still keeping going but hopefully this will get a lot easier for us now that we're going to have some f1 racing to talk about at long last I certainly can't wait for that yeah, 17 long episodes without some proper content, apart from the battle story. We've done well, all things considered. Yeah, and episodes like that are still on the channel. And of course, we've, a, a few other episodes we've done in the meantime, we talked about 
a couple of weeks ago if we thought Sebastian Vettel's time for I was a failure, why we thought that was a failure and where it went wrong. And of course, we had the episode uh, last week about Williams, about the rise and fall there. So two very, very good episodes. If you haven't checked those out, I definitely recommend you checking those out because they're very, very good discussion and debates. Moving back to the topic at hand, the elephant in the room, obviously it's a very, very big elephant, but the COVID-19 situation, now that hasn't gone away. Well, of course, we're talking about the Formula 1 season coming back. Other sports have made their returns as well. Football, of course. We're based in the UK, so the Premier League has returned now with Liverpool finally winning that title after what seemed like an eternity. And imagine as an Arsenal fan, the celebrations are going to seem like an eternity as well from their part. But moving away from that, they've obviously had plans to put in place to get their sports back underway. Formula 1 has not been any different in their approach to this. They've been very methodical, been very careful not to repeat potential mistakes that they very, very nearly made trying to get an F1 season underway in Australia in risky circumstances. It's a different situation now. In a lot of countries, the virus has not spread as far and wide as it was originally. The curves for infection is flattening and a lot more people are recovering, which is great news. But that doesn't mean for a second that this virus has been beaten and that we're in a position where we can go back to, if you like, the norm that we experience. I don't think that's ever going to happen in terms of living the same way that we used to. Formula One has prepared, with the help of the World Motorsport Council, who voted on this, some changes to the 2020 sporting regulations that the FIA had recently published to help facilitate this change. On their page, they said... A number of adjustments to facilitate the return to racing operations as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And these include the ability for the stewards to operate remotely in exceptional circumstances, should the conditions require it. Adjustments to team curfew periods because of working conditions under social distancing. Amendments to the tyre allocation regulations to give greater operational flexibility to the FIA and Pirelli. Introduction of team personnel limits at the starting grid. Adjustments to certain race procedures, i.e. start, race, resumption, etc. And, of course, the definition of the podium ceremony for open and closed events to cater for COVID-19 restrictions. So those are just some of the bullet points or to take from that particular meeting, Courtney, that was voted on. It doesn't really go into depth, this uh, announcement from the FIA. These are just basically the headline actions and outcomes to come from it. Now... We mentioned the podium ceremony. That's that's going to be an interesting one to see how they facilitate yeah. that. Uh, I don't know what you're expecting, what idea you might have of how it would look, Courtney. I, I get the feeling, so my instinct is telling me that it will have a very similar feel to the interviews after qualifying. It will just be the three drivers, top three, you know, having their their solo celebrations and, and being interviewed, I imagine. I, that's how I imagine it's going to take place. Yeah, it's going to be very different to what we used to. Yeah, I'd have to say I agree with that one. I'm kind of expecting a situation where you may have the drivers, may not even collect their trophies at this time. I mean, there could be a situation where you could just have someone with a mask and gloves just bringing the trophy, putting it down, uh, rather than actually presenting it to the driver and then the driver celebrates a little bit with it. But I wouldn't even be surprised to see if the driver actually doesn't get given a trophy. Of course, at that time, they may get given it later on. There certainly won't be 
the champagne spraying or anything. It may just be very, very simple. The driver's just doing a touch of elbows or a fist bump that we've seen in football, have their interviews from a safe distance, as we mentioned, and then just move on. Of course, the media uh, interaction with the drivers is going to be very, very limited. And I think one group of people that will probably be very, very delighted to hear this will be the drivers themselves. <laughs> they'll, get their, um, they'll get their chill time before the races now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Kimi Räikkönen is probably a very, very happy man at the prospect of not having to conform to having to do interviews all the time throughout the weekend. And I'll be honest with you, I've not personally experienced this, but I couldn't imagine anything more mundane than having to talk about race events and qualifying and everything else to so many different media outlets, especially when your weekend is not going very, very well. That's the last thing you want to be doing as a driver. Uh, again, we another point mentioned the adjustment to team curfew periods because of the working conditions. Now, and of course the um, team personnel limits, etc. We saw a little bit of this in some of the videos that were circulated during the pre-season warm-ups that we saw. We mentioned Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, AlphaTauri, Renault, all doing warm-ups, and McLaren as well, amongst others. It was a good opportunity for those guys to practice working in an environment where social distancing is key, where it can be controlled. We saw images, and I'm going to talk about the Mercedes one in particular, because that was the one we saw the most footage of, where everybody was wearing the face mask. Lewis Hamilton obviously was in the garage talking to his team, Social distancing can only be done so much. The garage has been split in two. Normally, we would say, metaphorically speaking, it's splitting two with the engineers working on one car. But in this case, that's going to be enforced now. So you will have literally the garage split in two where engineers from either side will not be able to interact with each other. Oh, interesting. They will be you know what I'm looking forward to seeing, though? What's I that? Say, I'm looking forward to seeing the design of masks that the teams wear. Because you know they're going to have their own designs and... Uh, they're going to be making money from selling them online as well. So I'm not going to. I'll, 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 yeah, I reckon. I reckon like the Mercedes one in particular, they're going to have like a particular design and it's going to look good. I reckon it's going to be like a part of the um, the merchandise. Now you won't just have the cap and the shirt. You can have face masks to match it. Well, I can certainly imagine Ferrari doing something like that, where everyone just has the yeah. red mask with the badge on. I mean, that's quite amusing. I haven't seen any as of yet. The only so, if you like designer ones I could see was the one Lewis Hamilton was wearing he was just wearing a traditional black face mask but then you could they weren't branded or anything you just had that but it's not a bad idea I mean a lot of sports companies we won't mention on here obviously have produced their branded versions of face masks and it's just a, it's hilarious how marketing kind of works because yeah. it works no differently to a standard face mask in terms of protecting you from water droplets or any sorts of infection but it's just a face mask all it's got is just the branded logo of some of these companies that have produced them i mean some of them have even gone as crazy seeing some instagram influencers creating their own branded versions of a face mask and selling them it's it's, it's genius marketing yeah but it does it yeah and all you're buying really is a brand obviously you're buying a face mask that protects you in this instance but this is the perfect example of how you're buying a product that has no incremental value increase or decrease regardless of which one you buy as long as it does the job other than the fact that you're buying one with a mercedes logo or a ferrari logo or a red bull one you know it is quite amusing to see that in the, the ultimate example of how you're just literally buying into a brand 
Have you got you got you got to think about your COVID nineteen image, Adam. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends who you want to be associated. I mean, I'm more of I've just bought black face masks. Obviously, in the UK now, if you're travelling on trains or going to certain places, it's advice. Well, not advice. If you're travelling on a train, you have to be wearing a face mask. Uh, that's mandatory. What I'm is if I if I'm wearing my Mercedes shirt, I'd like to have a Mercedes um, a Mercedes master match. You got to think about your image when you're at Adam. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, the, I mean, the, probably the less said on that one, the better, because we'd be going into a whole different debate altogether. But obviously, as we've mentioned, the teams are going to be working in their own garages now, so none of this to and from. Of course, the teams were assigned to work on one particular car, but there's going to be no cohesion at all. I don't know how this is going to fare in terms of pit stops. I imagine the same procedure will apply anyway. It shouldn't matter in that regard, because um, they'll just be touching the car. They're already protected and covered up anyway. In terms of the working arrangements, we mentioned the curfew stuff and, of course, the tyres. Now, on the note of tyres, to give more flexibility to the FIA and Pirelli, they're going to be ridding the tyre allocation choices for certain races. So, in the past, I think it was about three months or so in advance. Okay. Or something, or a certain number of weeks in advance, where 12 weeks in advance, I think it was, where drivers and teams had to submit their tyre allocation requests to the FIA and Pirelli for those races in 12 weeks' time. That is not happening this season. This season, there's going to be a set allocation for all Grand Prix this season, and it goes as followed. There will be eight soft tyres, so the red stripe soft tyres, three sets of yellow medium tyres, the yellow stripe ones, and two sets of white hard tyres. Now, of course, we mentioned there's going to be less running, to handle this situation, there's going to be less uh, practice sessions. With that in mind, Courtney, even though it's not a big thing, it's one of those examples that this process is going to be streamlined. And I'll be honest with you, it might make things a little bit better in the long run. This may be something that they may consider doing because if I'm perfectly honest with you, I think a lot of fans, and we're hardcore fans, and even we found this confusing. I remember last year they had so many different, uh, sorry, the year before, they had so many different sets of tyres. And you couldn't keep track of what was what they had the, what was it the hypersoft the ultrasoft the yeah, supersoft the pink the pink they had the pink was it purple no purple yes yeah, so you had the pink hypersofts which were very yeah. used only in qualifying for specific races and I think Monaco, yeah. in that race, um, the ultrasoft the purples supersoft the reds the yellow soft tires the uh, white medium tires the orange hard tires the blue super hard tyres, which were very, very rarely used, only on very cold mornings of practice sessions where the track was like ice, uh, yeah, icy weather. Stone was, it was using Silverstone, I believe. Yeah, as well, yeah. And the two the two wet weather tyres, the intermediates and the, the wet tyres. That's 10 different sets of tyres that I've just named. And even I was almost struggling to remember all of them. It was hilarious. This season, of course, and last season, they've, been that they've got five sets of tyres that are available for all the races however they only choose three that are obviously going to be suitable for the race so that's why and they'll be branded soft medium and hard so they won't be similarly the same compound of tyres all the races but they'll just be free to choose from and they'll be labelled as such which is much easier to follow a lot easier than I've explained it (laughs) so uh, but we'll be covering those things in a future episode that we'll be talking about towards the end but that's again that's another example of some of the changes for the COVID situation. And I think what's important about this, as we mentioned before, Courtney, the world is going to be watching F1. It's going to be very excited. This is going to be the first official motorsporting event, live motorsporting event to be happening. So the entire world is going to be watching F1 
very, very, very much under the microscope to almost scrutinise every action they do. And I just hope that this can be conducted in a very isolated manner, in the same way that football is, to protect the drivers, protect the paddock, protect the personnel, only the people that need to be there. So no fans, no... Uh, there might be some media attention, probably not enough, uh, probably not a lot. It might just be restricted to F1 media, um, just for the benefit of you know their own stuff. But as I said, I'm hoping that this goes off without any serious hitches because the last thing we want is to have a few races pr- and then the situation escalates and it's proven to be difficult, especially with the travel restrictions as well in some countries that we've talked about already and it creates further complications to perhaps delay or maybe uh, remove the championship altogether because there won't be enough time to finish it we've waited long enough we've waited long enough now it's time it's time to restart and let's just hope as you said let's just hope it all goes well because live sport is known to give people uh, a lift you know we discussed it before is this important this works out and and it's actually an opportunity for Formula 1 to get um a bigger fan base because you know other sports aren't happening at the moment apart from football there might be an opportunity for um formula one to increase its popularity absolutely and as we said we'll talk about this late towards the end of the episode but i think we'll do our part to certainly help newer fans to the sport understand how formula one works and obviously try and uh, make sense of some of the more convoluted and complicated formula one terms and traditions that we know and love as hardcore fans. And I think in particular, Courtney, personally speaking, I, for one, am very excited about Formula 1 coming back, not just because I'm a hardcore F1 fan, but I need this kind of a boost. I've been watching mm-hmm. the football, and I've been enjoying it, but I'm an Arsenal fan. I need a bit more of a pick-me-up than others in this regard. And I think, Courtney, yeah. you'd probably agree yeah. with me on this one as well, for yeah, similar I reasons. Yeah, I think, you know, it was uh, football come back. Oh, one nil down after fifty odd minutes. <laughs> Actually, I didn't miss your football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could have stayed away for a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, so uh, moving on. Of course, now we should cover the race preview itself. The reason why you guys actually tuned into this video. We're finally going to talk about it. Forty-five minutes in. Um, so the race preview itself. I think the first thing that's to say, other than what we've covered in preseason testing, is what do we think? the pecking order is going to be now I think I'm right in saying Courtney obviously we talked about potentially Mercedes dominating again I know you were a bit reserved on that uh, back in pre-season and you felt that Max would make a challenge this season have your thoughts changed on who you think is going to win assuming that we have a clean season and nothing happens in terms of the Covid situation who do you think is going to be the man to beat this season so the biggest factor for me that makes me unsure of how it's going to pan out in terms of pure pace is DAS. We have yet to see DAS system being fully used in racing. No one has. No one actually knows how well it's going to how it's going to affect the tyres. We haven't actually seen it in, in in racing yet, so I don't think we'll know fully until um until race day when it comes to Mercedes. Well, it's an interesting thing, actually. You mentioned that. Um, it's almost been forgotten about. For those of you that don't know, so the DAS system, the dual-axis steering system, was introduced by Mercedes on the second day of the first test. And, sim- and in a nutshell, what it does is Lewis Hamilton was seen 
pulling the steering wheel towards him, which moved the two front tyres in or a toe in. So it was more towards the car, which gave it more straight line performance, less drag. And then, of course, pushed the steering wheel back before he went under braking to move the toe out. So the tyres were facing out and then gave it more cornering ability. And this was an innovation that Mercedes had introduced in testing, which completely caught everyone by surprise. It was incredible. It was like the, it was reported in so many media outlets. I'd never seen anything like it in testing before. Testing, usually you get the the headline figure times and that's it and you try and base your assumption off that. But this was incredible how everyone was talking about this one little innovation that Mercedes have used that left all the other teams thinking, oh dear, they've gone and done it again. What we found out when we left testing was that this was something that come under lots of scrutiny purely and simply because it was going to be outlawed in 2021. So a lot of teams wanted to try and get it outlawed now so that they didn't have to spend six months trying to develop their own systems that would really benefit them for six months. It'd be a waste of time and money. Red Bull in particular were the biggest protesters of this, and they actually informed us, and Dr. Helmut Marko informed Mercedes quite strongly that if they decided to run this system, they would formally protest and get it outlawed. We don't know if Mercedes are going to run this system. I'm glad you reminded me of that because I almost forgot it myself. But we're going to be diligently watching Mercedes to see what they do about this. But I think, on the whole, Mercedes, we thought, looked the fastest team in testing. They looked like the team to beat. Lewis Hamilton, in the prime of his life in terms of his driving ability, I think fair to say. He's literally raking up the wins and, of course, chasing that illustrious seventh world championship to emulate Michael Schumacher's record. And of course, in the process, potentially beating his race wins record. That's still in sight, despite the shortened F1 calendar that we're expecting. He's only uh, eight wins away from achieving that. He's on 84, so he's only eight wins away from beating Schumacher's record, I believe. It's safe to say that Lewis is going to be mind upon well-driven this season. Lewis, in terms of his performance, definitely the man to beat this season for me. I did say I do feel that Max Verstappen... Is the is potentially got the car underneath him to perhaps really challenge Lewis Hamilton this year, and I still believe that. I think going into the Austrian race, Red Bull's home race, they a lot of people consider them to be the favourites, and well, they run well there usually, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely, and they won it last year, and it is a wet race as well. So we looked at the weather for Spielberg, and if you haven't already, I definitely recommend it. But it's going to be very much a wet race. And I think uh, one of the uh, just talking about some of the predictions for the season that we'll get into, it does look like it's going to be a wet race, and this could really play into the hands of Red Bull. Of course, Mercedes have been very strong in the wet. A lot of talk has been about Max's performance in the wet. Of course, he won in Germany in that crazy race. Uh, he had that brilliant performance in Brazil. But of the last eight races that have been affected by wet weather, Courtney, six of yeah. them have been won by Lewis Hamilton. Well, that's the, that's, that's the thing. People do sometimes get out. Because Lewis is so good as an all-round driver, sometimes it's actually forgotten how good he is in the wet. Like, I, I look back as far as uh, Silverstone 2008, where he absolutely demolished the rest of the field. Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't agree more. So, you know, the, those comments people saying, oh, Red Bull look very strong. Well, of course, Red Bull got a strong car underneath it. It's got a very strong chassis. But just because it's a wet race doesn't... N- automatically make me believe that Max Verstappen is going to be the winner. If anything, I'd think that play more into Lewis's hands than Max. That being said, I do feel Red Bull look like they've got a very strong car underneath them and Max is uber determined 
So uh, uh, me personally, I think it's going to be between them two for the yeah. championship this season. For the race itself, again, I think if it's a wet race, I can only look towards Lewis Hamilton to win. But as it's early season, it's very strange circumstances following the COVID situation. So we'll see. We'll absolutely see. Um, is there anyone in particular, Courtney, that you think we should be looking out for to gauge? I can think of one team, but uh, in particular, I'm looking forward to seeing. But um, who do you think we should be looking out for? This could be awkward if I'm wrong, but I feel like me and you could be thinking the same thing. Racing point? Yeah, racing point. Exactly. <laughs> Racing Point, yeah. Very, very interested to see how Racing Point is And also, given like, the development of other teams around them, you know, because, like, I, I saw the same source that mentioned about Renault's upgrade, and they Renault could be bringing a triple upgrade. So you think about teams that could be competing with Racing Point, let's see what they bring. So, I mean, there's, just so, there's so many unknowns, but Racing Point is the team... Apart from obviously the top three, Racing Point are the team I'm definitely looking forward to seeing two most. Yeah, Racing Point, obviously the RP20, that many people have been nicknaming the Mercedes, the pink Mercedes or the W10. Which or Tracing was, Point. <laughs> tracing Point, yeah. That was my personal favourite, Tracing Point. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Andy Green, the technical uh, operator at uh, Racing Point, mentioned last season that they'd taken not a blueprint but they'd studied the Mercedes W10 from last season very vigilantly and developed their car around it and added their own innovations to it now that's not illegal in terms of the FIA ruling and there was an interesting situation that Haas were taking a very strong position against Racing Point doing this when they themselves were running very similar versions to the 2017 and 2018 Ferrari cars Obviously, with their shared partnership with Ferrari. Mm. Again, legal, of course, with standard parts, etc., etc., and with a technical partnership. But at the same time, we have to say, I am very much looking forward to seeing what they're, they're going to do this season, Racing Point. They were very, very impressive in testing. A, a lot of people, including myself, felt that they were pretty close to challenging Ferrari. We, we did say that in Melbourne, Ferrari were underperforming and Racing Point were overperforming to a degree where the gulf between them had shrunken massively to a point where if Racing Point had handled their race rather well there was every possibility that they could catch Ferrari on a ver- on a bad day and get oh, a podium. Imagine, as a Ferrari fan seeing, seeing your, your team behind who were formerly known as Force India <laughs> I'd be a bit embarrassing for, for, for Ferrari fans that would be an embarrassment. Yeah and I think on, on the subject of Ferrari Obviously, we've got to talk about Sebastian Vettel moving on next season, leaving Ferrari at the end of the season after joining them in 2015. A partnership that ultimately hasn't worked out at least yet. I mean, as I said before, we said this, and there's every reason to believe that Sebastian may go on to win the 2020 world title, which would be an amazing way to bow out of the Scuderia. Mm -hmm. How do we feel that situation is going to develop? We've already talked about Mercedes and Red Bull. But Ferrari's situation with Leclerc now the de facto number one driver in that team and Sebastian not necessarily playing the supporting role but really with very little to lose now that he's moving on. Will we see a Sebastian Vettel free of the stress and free of the migraine that Ferrari had put upon him? Of course it was uh, part and parcel. It wasn't exactly self-inflicted or one way or the other. But 
Vettel now doesn't have to worry about securing a long-term future and perhaps for the first time in a long time could just be driving for himself. Will we see a return to form for Sebastian Vettel or will we just see him fade away in a similar fashion with all due respect to how Kimi Raikkonen faded away from Ferrari uh, the season before? It could work either way for Ferrari because you're right, there, there is a possibility that Vettel could return to his, you know, almost his Red Bull form, shall we say. But on the flip side, this could prove to be a pain for Ferrari when it comes to strategy because Vettel does kind of have a right to be racing for himself this season and not on the team because he's leaving at the end of the season anyway. Yeah, it's a fair point. And Sebastian himself is... A- a very much a, prof- a professional in terms of his work ethic and in terms of how he carries himself in the team garage. I don't imagine for one second there's going to be bad blood between him and Charles. If anything, it may work better knowing that Charles has the full backing of Ferrari to be the man, if you like, for the next four or five years at Ferrari at least. Of course, with Carlos Sainz joining them next season, that may change a little bit, but we'll wait and see on that one. But Sebastian's not going to be left lacking without support from that Ferrari team to deliver what he can. And I think we can all agree, when Sebastian Vettel is in form, as he showed in Singapore last season, his last win for Ferrari, he's definitely still got that ability in him. And of course, in Canada as well last season, despite not taking the victory in the end, he's still got that pace about him. That's never been in doubt. So I'm hoping, as a Ferrari fan, of course, and... I've grown to be a Sebastian Vettel fan. Of course, as a Ferrari fan, you tend to love the drivers when they join the Scuderia more so than when they were when they were racing against them. But I do hope that we see more of the old Sebastian and just driving for himself. And that that freedom might allow us to see him at his best. I mean, we talked about this. We talked about Kimi Raikkonen. And I think it's fair to say, Corny, in that Alfa Romeo, despite getting the performances he was at Ferrari you'd probably argue that that was his best season as a driver in terms of rating his driving performance relative to car performance since well, it, it, since it, 2008, possibly. It does, it, it does show with some of his drivers that there is, a, there is a lot of pressure for driving for Ferrari and it does reflect on their performances sometimes. Yeah. Although I should say, actually, I said 2008. I, I actually meant to say um, during his Lotus period in 2012 when he won a few races there, um, oh, he, did, he did well at Lotus, yeah, definitely. Exactly. And it, and it's sometimes it's when you break away from that and the politics and everything else that Vettel now probably will have done, knowing he's got nothing to lose, he can just drive for himself. I would hope to see more of the old Sebastian Vettel, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I think just to kind of, before we go to the last bit of the race previews, I think we'll just do some quick fire questions. I did a bit of a Q&A for some of you guys to ask me questions and uh, just going to go through a few of them now. So... Uh, Alex Bomberg, funny enough, actually, a co-commentator of mine in uh, some online leagues, actually, quite interestingly, has pointed how much will rain really affect the race. Well, we touched on this um, about five, ten minutes ago. And as I said before, I don't think that the rain, it will throw the cat amongst the pigeons because the fact that no one's done any running, it's going to be raining all weekend. We still won't know what the true performance of these cars are. But it's going to be a race that is going to very much be affected by the drivers they still won't know what yeah. the true performance of their cars are because they haven't really been able to push them. They haven't had the opportunity to push them, or at least as far as we know. And with the updates going on some of these cars, it's going to be very difficult to know if these upgrades are working in wet conditions. 
So it's definitely going to be more of about which drivers cope in wet weather conditions better than others. And with that, as I said, I'm expecting to see Lewis and Max at the front. We might see some surprises. We might see some drivers in cars that don't perform as well perform George better. George Russell with the Williams, for example. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's what I'm hoping for. I'm, I don't think we're going to see a Germany race, but then you never know. We may well do. Um, but there's one to hope, I suppose. But that's, that's, that's the thing with rain, though, is that you can have races where you know it'd be raining heavily, and then it'll then it'll slow down, and then drivers after it completely throws strategy out the window. It, it, it does become as close to chaotic as Formula One can get, really, and that's why races like really do deliver. Yeah, and and the Austrian Grand Prix circuit itself, we should talk about this, has a lot of medium to high speed corners that really do test the car's aerodynamics, and cars that tend mm. to understeer more than others do suffer on this circuit a lot so it really does help if you've got a car that's well balanced has a good chassis and really commits the corners when you want them to rather than correcting them and the wet weather is only going to magnify that for a lot of drivers that don't have good cars underneath them so we will see some shades of which cars are very good handling and others that aren't but as i said again it could be down to a complete unknown we may see a shock winner or maybe not a shock winner but certainly a shock podium finisher so I would say be prepared for surprises, perhaps more so than other wet races, but I would expect the top drivers in the top cars to really shine as they so often do. So um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, another one uh, under G underscore Allen 3 writes, do you think Williams will start to make their comeback this season? We actually touched on this in the last episode, that Williams had signs to be optimistic for this season and the seasons ahead, assuming that they can secure their funding. Now, they've released a new livery. Of course, they were going to don the old rocket livery that looked like Colgate uh, toothpaste. Yeah, it's gone That's now. It's gone That's now. Gone. I can't use that reference anymore. No, it's gone now. So um, it looks like... Uh, well, I think it's a much nicer livery, Courtney. Obviously, I've put it out on, our, on my Instagram page. I don't know if you've seen mm. it. But it's yeah. the white I'll, livery. I'll post, it, I'll post it on the DNF1 page. Yeah. It looks really, really nice, I must admit. I'm definitely a fan of this new livery. I was kind of hoping for them to kind of fall back into more traditional colours that you and I are more used to seeing too in previous, yeah. with previous title sponsors. But of course, Williams... I should have pulled back the Vega Sonic the Hedgehog car. That was, that was my favourite, <laughs> Williams. Well, there's, a new, there's meant to be a new Sonic the Hedgehog game coming out um, this year. And obviously we had the Sonic movie earlier in the year. So there's absolutely they, no reason why they couldn't do that. <laughs> definitely no reason why they couldn't do that so there's all the science there but um no it looks a lot nicer it funny enough we mentioned toothpaste it looks more like a box of sensodyne rather so than they've they've tried, they've tried, they've changed to toothpaste provider. traded up they've gone to more sensitive toothpaste manufacturers one that dentists tend to recommend more apparently you know why apparently because williams are in a sensitive situation <laughs> 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 oh dear, cancel it now. <laughs> you see people hovering over the unsubscribe button as we speak. <laughs> but um, yeah, Williams themselves, I expect progress. I think we saw progress in testing and I do hope they can continue that. We should mention, despite their budget concerns, obviously they posted an operating loss of £13 million in 2019 and the COVID situation has kind of instigated this search for new external funding and investment. And I hope that they manage to secure this. But in the meantime, Claire Williams herself has stressed categorically that this will not affect Williams's 
funding or operations for this season. So in terms of what they've got planned for development, that shouldn't be hindered. At least if we take what uh, Claire Williams and the Williams team have told us as fact at face value. Of course, there are lots of caveats behind the scenes and lots of things that may prove to the contrary. But of course, at this point, I think it's fair to accept that what their plans are right now, post-COVID, are well in place. And I hope that they do make progression. They've got two good drivers. They've got George Russell. Of course, we've mentioned George, the man that we feel destined for that Mercedes seat. Will he get it next season? Will he get it in future seasons? Will he not get it at all? We don't know. That's something we should discuss in a future episode. But they've also got Nicola Latifi as well. A very good driver. Um, runner-up in GP2 last season, very experienced in junior categories, finally given his opportunity, of course, making his debuts in the virtual Grand Prix in Bahrain. Um, not where he would have wanted to make his debut for Williams in, in a racing rig in a, on a PlayStation or a PC, if you like, but certainly a driver that has a lot to prove and I'm sure will show plenty of pace. And it's probably the strongest Williams lineup we've seen since Bottas Massa. Oh, no, yeah. Since Bottas Massa. I think it's fair to yeah. say. No disrespect yeah. to Williams drivers that have come and gone since then. But in terms of calibre, I would definitely argue that this is the strongest Williams lineup since. Yeah, they certainly the don't deserve to be right at the back. No. But I do expect progress. Will they finish last in the championship? I'm leaning towards yes at this point because of how bad it was last season. And it would take a miraculous effort by any team, let alone the Williams team, who are more than capable of achieving this to actually finish above another team. Of course, it does rely on other teams to be falling back. And we mentioned Haas, we mentioned Alfa Romeo, but I'm expecting them to have made progress following pre-season testing. And we can't judge them based on that performance anymore. I'm just hoping, for Williams' sake, that they're competitive. They definitely look That's it. That's the main thing, yeah. But we'll you have want to, to see, as, obviously as, as fans, you want to be seeing competitive racing from the front to the back. You yeah. don't want to be seeing... 10, 20 second gaps between 16th and 17th. You don't want to be seeing that. Yeah. And uh, I think the last thing to ask, actually, is uh, based on your polls, Courtney, that you put out. Yeah. You want to talk about to the viewers or listeners in this case? So, yeah, I asked, asked a few questions. So first of all, I asked um, who do they think will win? Um, a good majority of people went with Max Verstappen. So, a lot of people are sharing that sentiment. With um, you know a combination of obviously Red Bull, Red Bull development, Verstappen's talent, obviously you know that's undebatable, and also they have a, they, they they run well Austria. So a lot of people share a, a sentiment that Verstappen's going to win. So can't argue with that one. Um, I also asked, yeah, I asked who, which team do they reckon could surprise us come Austria? A few people. Well, Racing Point edged it. As we've, again, we touched on that. You know, Racing Point are the team that we're looking forward to most seeing, based on what we saw in testing. And also Williams. There is a lot of intrigue surrounding Williams. So, you know, funnily enough, the teams that we've been discussing most are getting a lot of interest from, you know, the fans that we engage with, Adam. Yeah, I, I would say I'd agree with a lot of those comments, if I'm perfectly yeah. honest. I do think... Max has a very good chance of winning. And a lot of people surrounded themselves around Max to win the title. Me personally, I still think that that is the case. Maybe more so um, after what we've mentioned regarding the development that Red Bull tend to take in terms of their trend. They tend to be a team that starts slow and get fast as the season goes on. So if they have a fast car to begin with and you eliminate four months of racing 
where they're all on equal footing and allows them to develop, definitely puts them in a much more stronger position than they could have envisioned at pre-season testing. So there's definitely a good chance. I do personally still feel that there's a good opportunity for Max here to take his first world championship. And uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton definitely will be the man I think that will be in prime position to stop that. I still think Mercedes have the strongest car. Um, they always seem to bring... It's amazing, Mercedes. They bring all these innovations and develop. And rather than break the glass season, they just smash through it and then put another one there and then smash through that. I'm expecting the same from them. I'm also expecting Ferrari to be a lot stronger um comparison to have made gains. We said yeah. before Ferrari's pace was a bit of an unknown. Were they on level pace with Red Bull? Their long run pace suggested that they were. Um, regard, even though their short run pace and what they told us suggested the contrary. They probably made changes to the engine. They, obviously, we mentioned they had to get a revised gearbox in place because to confide with the FIA investigation that they had earlier over their previous power unit, they've had to fix that and obviously increase the power that they seem to have lost towards the latter end of last season following that investigation. Most of those upgrades Ferrari mentioned, they're going to be small ones for this race, according to Mattia Bonotto, but they're going to, they know more about the car now. Ferrari have always emphasised their knowledge of how their car works, and it's always like a big thing as if you don't really see incremental performances in pace, even though Ferrari said they understand the car better, but that's what they've said this time, and we expect more of those upgrades to perhaps to come in the second race, or the third race, I should say, in, in Hungary, because we've got a double header in Austria to handle first. So, I think Ferrari is still going to be there. Where they're going to be, we won't know. really is a brand new story compared to any other season in Formula 1. The, the level of unknowns compared to any other season. Uh, we've, we've never known anything like this, obviously. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of arming and ar in this um during this episode, but I think we have every right to because not even the not even the pundits, the experts, no one has the slightest clue where deep down where the teams are going to be. We have a vague idea based, you know, Mercedes, but so many unknowns, Adam, and it just it just makes you know the start of the season as exciting as ever. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just makes everything that we've already just said redundant, and that's a fair point because at this point, guys. I don't be surprised if Alfa Romeo turn up and Giovinazzi wins driving backwards or something. I don't know. And then you can put in the comment section and go, oh, you don't know what you're doing, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that aside, um, I think it's probably a good opportunity to wrap this one up, actually. So, as I said, guys, really excited for the season ahead. I hope you guys are too. And make sure to support the channel as well. As I said, you've been absolutely brilliant supporting us during this hiatus period. But now... Finally, without any further introductions and touch wood, we can get underway without any further problems. And that Formula One, of course, it will be different. No fans, of course, let's not forget that. But we're all going to be watching from home. The coverage, I'd imagine, will be fairly similar anyway. Still great. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And of course, Courtney, we should mention in uh, the next episode, we're going to put another episode out this week. So uh, just uh, if you want, Courtney, perhaps uh, you can tell the uh, listeners what they've got to look forward to, or at least some of our newer fans to Formula One of how we can help you get to grips with the sport. So yeah, we're going to uh, basically be giving you guys the basics of Formula One. So we'll let you know how the basic F1 weekend unfolds. We'll be trying to explain things that you might not understand about Formula One because something that me and Adam are quite passionate about is trying to explain what makes us passionate about the sport. So there's this common perception that 
Formula One races are only good in the first and final laps, and it's just a load of cars going around fast around the track. Now, we want to be explaining the little things that we know, that we're aware of, that can change the, the way races go. So, obviously, tyres, you know, what affects tyres, you know, we want to talk about all the different factors, aerodynamics, pit stops, weather. We want to explain that all these things affect a race weekend and actually, you know, give people a little bit curious about Formula One, you know, because there isn't much sport on at the moment. And it's, there is going to be more interest in Formula One. So, yeah, we just, we're going to give you guys like a little explanation as, you know, what contributes towards a race weekend. Is an explanation there, Adam? Pretty much, I couldn't have said it better myself. The little how-to guide of Formula One for dummies, if yeah. you like, or noobs in this case. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great way to end this episode. So guys, yeah, looking forward to the start of the season. I hope you are too. And uh, let us know, of course, in the comments section, your predictions for the season and for the Austrian Grand Prix, what's going to happen, who's going to be the surprise, who you think is going to be champion. And of course, we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon and enjoy the new season. Podcast Network.